Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday. It is December the 3rd, and as always, thanks so much for joining me. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about ride-hailing. Yes, there are continued delays when it comes to introducing the services here in British Columbia. The Premier recently said that it will not be a failure if companies like Uber and Lyft are not in operation by Christmas, something that Kamloops North MLA Peter Milibar disagrees with. The vetting process by the Passenger Transportation Board is among the reasonings for the continues delays. This is despite the fact that thousands of ride-hailing drivers are set to hit the streets of Metro Vancouver whenever companies are permitted to begin operating. Well, in about 25 minutes, I'm going to be joined by the United Food and Commercial Workers 1518 President Kim Novak. She says it has reviewed the terms of Lyft and Uber's agreements, and it believes they are in violation of B.C. labor laws. So we'll get more into that with Kim in a little while. And to end off today's show, I will be speaking with Jacob O'Connor. He is a spokesperson from Canada Helps. And we're going to be talking about Giving Tuesday. Today is Giving Tuesday, and it's celebrated every year after Black Friday and Cyber Monday. It is a day dedicated to giving back. There are many ways to join the global movement, including making a donation of some kind or volunteering. Uh, Giving Tuesday is a day when Canadian charities, businesses, and individuals come together to celebrate and give generously. So Jacob will join me at the end of the hour to talk about what Giving Tuesday is all about. But to begin today's show, I'm going to be talking a little bit here about the state of hockey. It's a subject, I think, that needs the attention that it has been getting, and the current conversation uh, can't just rest within hockey, as it does need to be spread to uh, other sports as well, and really all walks of life. I mean, uh, we've, we've seen the case here of, of Don Cherry, a longtime hockey commentator who always tried to walk that line, but many feel that in his final coach's quarter segment, he, he did cross that line, as many people feel he had done many times in the past, but eventually, uh, or in this case, it did lead... Uh, to his demise from that role as the host of Coach's Corner. Um, and then, of course, we began hearing about former Maple Leafs coach Mike Babcock and his questionable motivational tactics. And now this week, I mean, he's being called out for acts of bullying while he was the coach in Detroit. Uh, just this week, Hall of Fame defenseman Chris Chelios came out and questioned Babcock's treatment of Johan Franz, and that was a player that he coached with the Red Wings. Chelios stated uh, that some of the things Babcock said to Franz and on the bench, I don't know what he said to him behind closed doors one-on-one, but he blatantly verbally assaulted him during games on the bench. Uh, Franzen later confirmed these allegations to a Swedish newspaper, saying, quote, I get the shivers when I think about it. That incident occurred against Nashville in the playoffs. It was coarse, nasty, and shocking, but that was just one out of a hundred things that he did, the tip of the iceberg, end quote. So, obviously, there has been some, uh, some, some, uh, proof brought to these statements that are made by Chelios being that uh, friends and the man himself who was affected by these things came out and confirmed them. He said Babcock would say horrible things to teammates and added that beginning in 2011, Franza was terrified of being at the rink after the first time that Babcock berated him. So this clearly had a significant impact on the player and his career. Uh, in 2018, Franzen told the same Swedish newspaper that he'd been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder while also dealing with severe anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. Um, so this was clear 
clearly a case of a coach on a power trip out to prove that he's the boss. Uh, Babcock famously scratched Mike Madonna, a Hall of Fame player, at the end of the regular season in 2011, just so he would finish his career with 1,499 games, just so he couldn't get to that 1,500 games played mark. So uh, just one questionable thing that he did uh, to, a, to someone who had a historic career. Uh, Chelios had also said that Babs tried to scratch him in an outdoor game in Chicago because he knew it was his hometown. Again, just trying to show that he was, in fact, the boss. Now, in, in my opinion, as bad as Babcock was, I have yet to view him as some kind of a racist, although clearly he had some questionable motivational tactics or, or uh, you know, questionable ways of dealing with, with a situation where he wanted to show that he was the man in charge. Clearly, um, as has been indicated by a couple of these stories, he, he can be viewed uh, as a bully, and I'm sure we're going to hear more stories as, as time rolls on here. But I think the topper for me is uh, former or now former Calgary Flames coach Bill Peters, who resigned from his post uh, after an investigation into his conduct began. Peters has been accused of directing the N-word at a black hockey player during his time in the American Hockey League and faces accusations of physical abuse during his time with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, he singled out someone for the... Uh, Sorry, singling out someone for the color of their skin is clearly not okay, and punching and kicking someone because they didn't back check hard enough or whatever the reasoning simply was um, is clearly crossing the line, a, a very clear line that you can't hit people. Um, the facts that these incidents are now being called out, though, I think in general is just good news for the sport, uh, for the sport of hockey specifically, but for all sports in general, uh, people in positions of power need to be called out in order for the next generation of coaches and teachers to be better, to be smarter, to help make progress as people, and uh, of course make progress for the sport as a whole. Sports are definitely not the most important things in life, but they are important when we're talking about the skills that they can potentially teach people, such as teamwork and camaraderie, uh, communication and trust. So if we're going to be able to instill some of these values within the, the youth that are taking up these kinds of sports and these activities. Well, clearly the people that are heading up those teams need to be able to exemplify some of those tactics, some of those traits as well. There are many things that people can learn from the game that they play, whether it's hockey or soccer or lacrosse or whatever sport you choose, um, but we sure as heck don't want lessons, um, you know, that the wrong lessons to be taught, and we want to teach the right ones. You know, you can't yell and hit your way to positions of power. No, you need to be supportive, and uh, not only that, you need to be good at what you do. And I think that's the case in a lot of these situations. We see these coaches that are, you know, they're very good tactical uh, tacticians. They're, they're, they're good uh, motivational speakers, but obviously there are times when they cross that line. And that's the, the thing that we need to talk about. Where is that line? And, uh, you know, how close should we be getting to it? And I think that's a conversation that's going to be had. Uh, it's already clearly started, but it's going to be continuing here for quite some time as more and more incidents are uh, brought to light and more and more people are called out for their historic actions. Um, you know, obviously there is a lot of people out there who think, uh, you know, you can't judge people based on the... Um based on their past as, you know, maybe it was a different time and, and uh, you know, the, the things that we accepted were, were different back then than they are today. But it doesn't change the fact that they need to be brought up and discussed and talked about and that conversation is now happening. And I think that's a good thing, not just for sports, not just for hockey, but life in general. And here in Canada, of course, we are a, a melting pot. We are a multicultural nation and it's important to make sure that all people are welcome. And when we're talking about our national sport, a sport like hockey, uh, something that uh, many Canadians, um, you know, hold close to their heart 
uh, definitely something that we want everyone to be able to be a part of. So I'm going to be continuing this conversation after the break. I have the president of APNA Hockey coming on. It's an organization that is focused on identifying and growing the number of South Asian hockey players across the country by providing on-ice and off-ice training. So Lally Tour will be joining me after this. Of course, uh, when we're talking about South Asian hockey players in this specific organization, it does um, extend far beyond one specific um, area, uh, one, sp one specific demographic. So we'll be talking more about that after this. So stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Tuesday. Continuing the conversation of, of racism and bullying within sports, and particularly the game of hockey, uh, I'm joined on the phone now by the president of APNA Hockey, Lally Tour. Lally, thanks so much for coming on here. Thank you for having me, Jeff. So I think first and foremost, before we get too deep in any kind of conversation, I think it's important to know exactly what APNA is. Can you just sort of, for the sake of the audience, yep. let them know what uh, yep, APNA is all sure. about? So uh, APNA in Punjabi, Urdu, Hindi means our. So APNA Hockey is the very first South Asian-based ice hockey network currently in the world. Uh, our motive is to get more South Asian kids involved in hockey. It's also connect connect them with role models and uh, prominent athletes. So, I mean, I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, playing hockey, AAA. I played with Colm Pareko, the same St. Louis Blues, Ben Gallagher of the Montreal Canadiens. I played at a AAA level. I never had, I felt very isolated. Um, my dad is an immigrant from uh, India that uh, immigrated over in the late 70s. So he fell in love with the game when he saw uh, Wayne Gretzky, Messier win cup after cup. So when I was born, naturally, he put me in hockey, which is odd for an immigrant family. But he worked two jobs, and he put me in it. I played AAA my whole career. And it sucked because I felt isolated. I never had a role model. There's a lot of racism that I went through in the prairies. Um, and I thought the best way to give back a couple of years ago was to start up a program where I could give back to kids something I never had growing up. So can you, I mean, you talked a little bit about your experience there growing up and playing hockey in Edmonton. I mean, it seems like, you know, Edmonton's a fairly big city. I mean, you would think there would be a lot of kids, um, you know, playing hockey that maybe come from ethnic backgrounds, and, and maybe that wasn't necessarily the case for you growing up. No, it wasn't. Uh, I, would t I would usually be the only South Asian kid on my team, let alone the whole league. Um, I think I played against one South Asian kid uh, when I was about 8 or 10 at a all-star tournament in Vancouver. Um, you didn't see too much um, ethnicities playing the game of hockey, especially at the minor hockey level in the prairies. Um, that posed a lot of challenges. Um, I had some parents that would honestly just talk to me and my dad and let me know what would happen, you know, in the future. Because I was playing with the top, uh, top 1992 group, you know, from Alberta. Um, they would tell me that, you know, this is just the start of the racism, the bigotry, um, the, the the animosity, right? So, I mean, they prepared me as much as they could, but. In the end, Jeff, I, I, I didn't like hockey, right? I hated the politics. Um, it, it really left a sour taste in my mouth, and that's why I started up the, the whole Upton Hockey Network. Yeah, and Lally, I mean, what, what, where was this coming from? I mean, when you're talking about dealing with instances of racism, was it, you know, players on your team? Was it opposing players? Was it coaches? Was it refs? Was it everything? I mean, yeah. just, just how yeah. deep was this rooted? Yeah. It was, uh, I feel that on, on, my, on the teams that I played for, it was very systematic. Because, I mean, I, would, uh, I wouldn't be dealing with, you know, like I obviously like opposing teams would call me Paki, a terrorist. Um, they'd call me certain uh, other rhetoric. Uh, parents on the other team would call me that as well. But I felt that, you know, at certain, like on my own team, 
some parents didn't like me, right? You know, if I was scoring more goals or getting more ice time, um, I felt in my Bantam AAA year, I was, I think Bantam AAA is a big year in uh, Alberta because that's your WHL draft. Mm-hmm. And I think I averaged, I think, three or four minutes a game the whole year. And I felt so isolated, so so hindered, right? I mean, there's different forms of racism, right? Um, and it, it took a toll on my mental health as a kid growing up. Um, I mean, I still wake up thinking, you know, like what, what could have happened if I would have got, you know, a fair shot at it. And right now, I mean, the conversation that's going on in the NHL, and we're talking about people like Bill Peters and, and Don Cherry, I mean, are you... I, this is might be a you know pretty obvious question, yeah. but I mean, are you surprised to see that it is uh, you know that racism still exists within hockey? Once you get to these higher levels, you would almost think you know the higher you get, uh, the more they are yeah. concerned about you know skill and just your ability to play should be the yeah. most important thing. But that doesn't seem to one hundred percent anyway be the case. Yeah, and I was actually very surprised it hadn't come out earlier um, because you see a racism in the minor hockey levels across Canada, um, even in the states. Um, all over the place. There's racism in minor hockey. So I was always so curious about, I never heard a story from the National Hockey League, but that's the problem. That's the culture of hockey. They keep everything quiet, right? So it's very similar to the Me Too movement with sexual harassment and abuse. These players that, these ethnic minority players that go through the system um, from uh, junior to, to pro hockey, and they're made kind of, you know, kind of achieve their goals of making the NHL, their livelihoods at stake. So, I mean, if a coach or an organization or other players, if someone says something racially charged, they're not going to say anything because they're still trying to make it to that next level, right? So there's that, uh, there's that hush factor that uh, the culture of hockey has really grown to be known as. Um, and now that Akeem Aliou spoke out, which is the first big step, I think we're going to hear a lot of stories. And I heard, heard another story from uh, Mike Babcock and uh, um, a player of his from Detroit, and you're going to start hearing these stories now about not even racial abuse. You're going to hear verbal abuse, sexual. Um, there's lots of stuff. It's just the culture of hockey has always been um, whatever happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. But that is not the, that's not the right way of going about things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're mentioning Yohan Franz, and I talked a little bit about him off the top of my show as well, just yeah. relaying the incidents that are that are occurring yeah. and that are slowly starting to trickle out. I guess, how important yeah. do you think it is for these conversations to start? I mean, it's pretty clear that yeah. these conversations need to be had, and it's important yeah. ones that they're, that they're going to, you know, sort of take the steps to wean out some of this um, yeah. poor behavior, I guess, that exists yeah. within the sport at, at yeah. probably far too frequent a uh, level. But, um, I mean, do, do you see a, a shift that's going to be starting here? I mean, this is very early stages, yeah. but just how important yep. and how critical is it to start these conversations now and, and how long do you think it's going to really take to, to see a, a cultural shift? Yeah, and we're going to see that cultural shift. It's going to take time. I was actually at the GTHL Hockey Summit in Toronto uh, a couple of weeks ago and the VP of Social Impact from the National Hockey League, Kim Davies, uh, sorry, Kim Davis, uh, she spoke out and had a really good speech. And one thing I took out, she's a black woman that represents social impact for the National Hockey League. I think she's one of the most well-spoken women I've ever met. Um, she said that the NHL, sometimes minorities like to see other minorities, you know, in, in positions of hockey, whether it be on the ice, at the executive level, at the coaching level. So what I talked about in Toronto was the Rooney Rule from the National Football League, which they implemented in 2003. So the Rooney Rule is states that for any coaching, assistant coach, executive level position in the National Football League, 
there has to be a ethnic minority being interviewed. So now this is something that's very powerful. I think the National Hockey League needs to take a look at this because when you start introducing more ethnicities into the decision-making of the National Hockey League, naturally it becomes more diverse, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, this is something that I brought up in Toronto, and I really hope that they take it to heart and actually um, look into it and the implications of it because if you want to really change hockey, you've got to make it more diverse, not even on the ice at the executive level because that's the culture, right? That's the culture that's instilled in, in hockey is is the is the executive level, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, instead instead of being so hush hush and like um, keeping everything in the in the locker room, no, there needs to be people of uh, ethnic minorities that have very strong positions in these um, hockey organizations. Because when you look at the executive level of the National Hockey League of the thirty two teams in the National Hockey League, it's all Caucasian. Yep. So where does the culture shift? Yeah, and it, it's going to take a long time to really see that yep. change for sure, but it's definitely an important conversation that is oh, yeah. beginning. It and is. and uh, yeah, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. I guess uh, yeah. before I let you go here, Lally, I just want to ask a little bit about Apna Hockey itself. I mean, yeah. since you started this organization and, and you know, you've been obviously welcoming of people of, of different skin colors into the organization yeah. and starting to teach them about the sport of hockey, have you yeah. have you seen more youth willing to you know try out the sport as a result of having organizations like Apna yeah. that are encouraging them to try it? We, we are because of the prominent athletes. I mean, we have George Arcara of the Edmonton Oilers. Um, his presence on the ice just does so much for our community. I talk to kids that say, I started playing ice hockey because of George right? And I mean, we connect so many prominent players. We, so Jeff, we have enough prominent players that we've identified. We have a whole roster now. We have enough players to kickstart India's National Olympic team. So imagine what that would do for the whole country, right? Um, and it's getting to a point where, like, again, like, we introduce these athletes. And, like, big shout-out to the Kamloops Blazers because two, uh, two of our really old um, – there's two South Asian players that played in the Kamloops Blazers uh, system. Robin Bawa, who was the first South Asian uh, to play in the National Hockey League, and A.J. Baines, who is the first uh, South Asian to win the Calder Cup in the AHL. And they both, they both actually went through the Camelot Blazers uh, organization. So I thought I'd give them a nice little shout out there. Well, we definitely appreciate it here. And, and like I said, this conversation is very important to have. I think we all want to see more diversity within the sport because it's we only going to make the sport better and, and the, the caliber of play will improve as a result. So thanks so much for doing this, Lally. I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Thanks, right. Have a re- good rest of your day. That was Lali Tour, the president of Apna Hockey, a group that is based out of Edmonton that is helping to, uh, you know, encourage South Asian hockey players to get into the sport. And this uh, Apna Hockey is being run, of course, across the country and then has a focus out here in Western Canada. Uh, coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking about ride hailing. So we'll be, uh, you know, continuing that conversation that just doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. So we'll have more on that after this. News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM, and RadioNL.com. The voice of your community, Radio NL, 610 AM News Talk, and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. 
Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday the 3rd. The Premier said recently that it will not be a failure if companies like Uber and Lyft are not in operation by Christmas. The vetting process by the Passenger Transportation Board is among the reasonings for the continued delays. This is despite the fact that thousands of ride-hailing drivers are set to hit the streets in Metro Vancouver whenever companies are permitted to begin operating. And I know there's some uh, drivers here, I'm sure, in Kamloops that are ready to begin operating once companies launch here as well. Well, the president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, Local 1518, says it has reviewed the terms of Lyft and Uber's agreements and believes they are in violation of BC labor laws. I am joined now by UFCW 1518 president, Kim Novak. Kim, thanks so much for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's just start there. I guess, what is it in these agreements um, that, that your union in particular has a concern with about, uh, you know, the violation of labor laws? How do these agreements that are in place violate BC labor laws? Yeah, well, we are welcoming ride-hailing into BC, and, and we're excited to have it come in as something that we know the public really wants. One of our biggest concerns, though, is that these contracts do, uh, essentially require drivers to sign off that they are not employees, and we say that they are. They are absolutely reliant on Uber and Lyft and, and the various other ride-hailing companies that are there for rating to ensure that they're able to get future employment and future dri- rides. So with that in mind, I guess, what, what are the, the issues that arise as a result of that? What kind of concerns should a driver have if they're not considered technically an employee of one of these companies? Well, they wouldn't have access to basic BC employment standards. And so things like minimum wage, health and safety regulations that we know are a very critical issue for drivers that we've spoken to outside of the BC jurisdiction as well. And essentially having the ability to ensure that they are going to be paid for the work that they're doing when they are reliant on these employers in order to ensure future Right. Um, so I guess with that in mind, I guess what kind of wording would you like to see changed or what within these agreements that exist as they are now, would you like to see changed that would make you okay with these companies launching? We'd be happy to see any ride-hailing company that comes to BC that commits to upholding employment standards and ensuring that that is enforced for any driver that drives with them would be fantastic. That's what we're looking for. I mean, have you been paying attention to, to some of the concerns that are happening outside of the province of BC? I know like in Ontario, there's that class action lawsuit against Uber about concerns about just what you're raising, the fact that, you know, they don't have rights to things like minimum wage or vacation time, you know, those, those kind of basic rights that come with, with being uh, some, uh, an employee of, of, of an employer. Um, I mean, are you paying attention to some of these uh, dealings that are going on outside of the province to see sort of what changes should be made here and, and you know, some of the concerns that current drivers are dealing with elsewhere that could be avoided, I guess, here if we, if we make sure the process is done right? That's exactly what we're doing. Uh, USCW Canada has been working on this campaign across the country for quite some time where Uber and Lyft and other ride-hailing companies have been operating, and we absolutely want to do it right when it comes to BC. We don't want to end up in these long legal battles where drivers and workers are really at, at the mercy of their employer, and so what we've seen in New Jersey is that there is a, a, a lawsuit there where the government has determined that these drivers are in fact employees and there are hundreds of millions of dollars in outstanding unemployment taxes that haven't been paid. And so what we're looking at doing is let's establish it when these ride-hailing companies come into BC. Let's do it right from the beginning so that this can be a success for everyone involved, the public, the drivers, and the health and safety is upheld.
Now, talking to a lot of people about this specific issue, there's a lot of just, you know, the general population that is really frustrated by the fact that it's taken so long to see these ride-hailing companies launch. I mean, like I had mentioned off the top there that uh, uh, Premier John Horgan had said, uh, not having these uh, in, in place by Christmas will not be a failure on the government's part, but, I mean, he's been talking about bringing these services into the province for quite some time, and it just feels like another deadline that's going to come and go with these services not in place. But are you, I guess, happy to see that the government is, in fact, taking its time with this issue? to make sure that it is done right? I mean, we all want to see it rushed and, and get out and, and, you know, have these services available to us. Um, but, but I guess from UFCW's perspective, it, it's good that it is taking as much time as it is. Well, we are not trying to delay it. I mean, the biggest thing that we want to do is have the Labour Board and the government hear our issue now so that ride hailing isn't delayed any further. We are happy to see that it's being taken seriously, though, and that the rights of workers as as work evolves in our province, as the gig economy employers come into BC, if we're able to establish better standards for workers now, it's going to be a long-term success for everyone. So by no means do we want to delay. We do want to make sure it's done right so that we are protecting the future of work in our province. Um, from that, from that uh, same vein, then, I guess, do you, do you see these changes being made before these companies launch? I mean, it just feels almost like uh, at this point in time, they're just delaying the licensing process, and that seems to be the one thing that's holding it up. But do you think some of these agreements will be rewritten before these companies actually launch, or, or do you have any thoughts on that? Well, we know that there are BC local ride-hailing companies that have already committed that they will uphold employment standards, and in some cases are willing to commit to paying a living wage and provide benefits. So certainly ride-hailing in BC will come in and it will protect workers and their drivers. So we would hope that Lyft and Uber would do the same thing when they come into the market so that way everyone who's driving for any of these companies has the same basic rights to employment standards. So from that then, I guess, uh, if you are someone who's thinking about uh, potentially driving for one of these ride-hailing companies, I guess, do you have a message for anyone who, who might be looking to become a driver and to make sure that they are, uh, you know, employed or, or whatever the term, I guess, you want to use, contracted by a company that does have the, work, the rights of workers in mind? Absolutely. Do your research. I mean, that's the most important thing is what before you sign off on anything, make sure you really clearly understand exactly what it is. And look at the other ride hailing companies that have applied for application at the PTB because that really is going to give you some insight into where you can go to ensure that you are having access to those employment standards. Right on. Well, definitely a lot to think about. I mean, from uh, from definitely a, a, a potential employment perspective, I guess uh, potential drivers should really be considering, um, you know, what what the ramifications are of just simply clicking accept on some of these terms and conditions that come with, uh, you know, becoming a Lyft or an Uber driver. It's uh, pretty easy to just hit accept without actually reading any of the information that comes along with it. So uh, definitely a lot to keep in mind. I guess is there anything else that you want to add here on this particular subject? I mean, it's uh, it's been a long process to get to where we are and it doesn't feel like it's over yet um, I guess just are you continuing to follow this issue as it goes through the process and, and uh, you know hopefully that uh, hope, hope to see that the, the, the concerns that you have arisen are going to be addressed Absolutely. We just continue to urge, you know, the Minister of Labor, the Minister of Transportation and the BC Labor Board that now has our submission in front of them to really push this forward and ensure that the rights of workers are protected. And we'll continue to advocate for that and hope to see ride hailing be the success that it can be in our province Right on, Kim. Well, thank you so much for coming on my show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's definitely an issue that a lot of people are talking about and uh, something I think we're going to be continuing to talk about for a little while. So thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Talk to you later.
All right, that was the president of UFCW 1518, Kim Novak, talking about concerns when it comes to ride hailing and the fact that uh, they have some issues when it comes to the agreements that are currently in place with companies like Lyft and Uber, um, you know, and, and they feel it has uh, some violations to the B.C. Labor Board and the, the, the labor laws that are in effect here in the province of B.C. They would like to make sure that uh, those people who are going to be driving for these ride hailing companies are taken care of, and that, of course, comes with dealing with things like minimum wage, like vacation pay, like uh, a lot of different rights that uh, we here in BC have when it comes to our employment status. And and like she had mentioned, you know, the, the people who are thinking about becoming drivers for these companies need to take the time to make sure that they are picking the right one that is best for them. Um, she had concerns specifically when it comes to Uber and Lyft, but there are, I believe, 19 companies that are currently in the, the licensing process and are under review by the BC Labor Board. Uh, so there's a lot of options for uh, for potential drivers to, to think about in terms of which company they, they feel will be best for them and will have their, uh, their, their rights in mind. And uh, I know here in Kamloops, I believe we have three companies that are looking to open up shops. So there you go. For for those here locally, I mean, there's there's three options if you're looking to become an Uber or, or sorry, a ride-hailing driver. There's a few different uh, companies that you should be looking into to see who you might want to drive for. Definitely a lot to take in, and uh, like like uh, like she mentioned, I mean, take your time to research these companies. I mean, it's really easy for for those people who are just wanting to become a driver and and just think it's a way to earn some extra money while working two, three, four hours a week. When you have some spare time, you can just get in your car and drive some people around. But uh, you know, it's really really easy to just click those those accept those terms and conditions buttons without actually doing any reading. Um, I had talked to someone early in the summer uh, when we had some concerns around privacy, and they just said, you know, if we uh, read all our terms and conditions, we'd be spending upwards of like two months, I think it was, reading uh, just just some of the things that we're agreeing to. While in this case, when you're talking about employment, when you're talking about making money, uh, it's probably a good idea to take those extra two, three minutes, or I guess probably probably 20, 30 minutes in these cases to, to make sure you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. When you're signing any agreement, it is important to know uh, what it is. And in certain cases, it is more important than others. And I think when you're becoming an employer, or sorry, an employee of a company like an Uber or Lyft, it's important to know uh, just exactly what it is you are, in fact, signing. So with that in mind, I mean, like I had said, the Premier had said it, uh, it's not a failure if these ride-hailing companies are not in operation by Christmas. I would have to potentially disagree with that statement. I think it is a failure, given the vet that it's uh, another timeline that's missed to see these ride-hailing companies come into existence here in British Columbia. We definitely want to see them. We definitely want to use them as the general public. Uh, it's a shame that we don't have these options available to us yet in terms of transportation. They are coming. It's just a matter of when. And uh, like Kim Novak, the president of UFCW, was saying, uh, when they are brought in, uh, hopefully it is done right. I mean, they've taken this much time now. So if they don't get it right, I mean, there's no one else to blame but the government itself in that perspective. So uh, hopefully they come soon. But uh, I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be in place uh, come Christmas time. Coming up after the break, today is Giving Tuesday. And I'll be chatting with a spokesperson from Canada Helps about what that is all about. Uh, definitely a day to think about being charitable. So we'll talk more about that after the break. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com.
Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. Today is Tuesday, December the 3rd, also known as Giving Tuesday. The Giving Tuesday is celebrated every year after Black Friday and Cyber Monday and is a day dedicated to giving back. There are many ways to join this global movement, including making a donation of some kind or potentially volunteering. Let's just a couple of suggestions on how you can go about giving back here on Giving Tuesday. Here to talk about what today is all about is Jacob O'Connor with Canada Helps. Jacob, thanks so much for coming on the show today. And thanks so much for having me, Jeff. And I'd just like to say happy Giving Tuesday to everyone out there. And happy Giving Tuesday to you as well. So maybe let's just start there. What is Giving Tuesday? Can you tell me a bit of this origin story and how Giving Tuesday sort of began? Yeah, for sure. So it was actually founded at uh, the 92nd Street Y um, in New York City. Um, and really this was uh, kind of just an idea. And, and you kind of hit it on the head where you have Black Friday where uh, you spend on yourself and Cyber Monday where you spend on yourself. And Giving Tuesday um, is really in that spirit of giving back. So, you know, I've spent on myself, but now can I, how can I help others? Um, and you mentioned you can make a donation or fundraise, but I would actually even say just anything in the spirit of giving back to others. So just a day where you're thinking about others, maybe you're holding the door open for someone, um, just anything that you can do to give back. Right on. So, yeah, definitely just the day to, to think about others and less about yourself. I think I might argue, though, when we're talking Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I might be considering spending money on other people other than myself. But uh, other than that, I agree with everything else you just said. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that, I guess just what kind of uh, gap does there exist right now in Canada when we're talking about giving? I know Canada helps put out this giving report um, every year, and, and, and I guess the most recent one identifies a bit of a giving gap, if you will, in Canada. So what, what does that mean, I guess? So can you tell me a little bit about this giving gap? gap that exists? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's, it's really a demographic shift that we're seeing. Um, and we're, we're having Canadians that are age 55 plus giving far more money to charities uh, than, than younger age groups. And so as the, that demographic ages, it's how are we going to fill that gap? Um, and I think this problem actually affects more so smaller charities um, because if folks out there don't know, it's really the largest charities um, like your health, your hospitals, um, and educational institutions that get the bulk of government funding. Um, so really it's the smaller charities that rely on individual donors. Um, and, and these are the ones that are going to feel that gap the most. So really important um, that we continue to, to cultivate that spirit of giving here in Canada. So your cat shelters um, and those other local organizations that, that really support the, the fabric of the community can continue to thrive. So, I guess, what is the overall message here today, I guess, in order to help narrow that gap? Is there any particular steps that people can take to help narrow that giving gap that currently exists? Yeah, 100%. Uh, and so, like I said, like uh, volunteering is also always super valued. If you can volunteer with a local charity, um, spread the word, um, and just even helping out a neighbor, that's all stuff that's right in the spirit of Giving Tuesday. But if you're looking to give specifically, um, I work at CanadaHelps.org, and, and we're really Canada's destination for donating online. So we've been around since 2000 um, and actually raised over $1 billion for Canadian charities. Um, so you can go to CanadaHelps.org, um, and you can search for, donate to, and fundraise on behalf of any of the 86,000 charities in Canada. So it's also a great place just to get acquainted with the charitable sector in Canada. Okay, so definitely a lot for people to think about then because there are no shortage of ways for people to give back to the community um, and, and 
it's not really that difficult if you just put your mind to it to to give a, a couple of bucks here or a few minutes of your time there or like you had said to even today just uh, opening the door for someone who uh, who uh, you know is coming in behind you it's just a nice gesture to make and it is a way to uh, give back even though it is uh, on the smaller of scales um, so we're talking about giving Tuesday and, and you know there's a, a gap that exists when it comes to giving and you mentioned some ways that we can go about narrowing that gap and closing that gap that currently exists so uh, that's talking specifically around Giving Tuesday and how we can do that on this day but I guess what about the rest of the year Giving Tuesday is clearly just one day and and I know in December this is sort of the month where a lot more people are considering giving to charity and giving their time and and, and giving donations so from that perspective it is is great it's a great time of year for, for people to think about others but what about the rest of the year when we're talking outside of Giving Tuesday outside of December um, I guess what, what is the message for people out there yeah, that's a great point, um, and we see in the charitable sector here at Canada Helps, like 40% of our donations are processed here at the year end, um, and really that kind of puts things in a risky position for charities uh, in Canada as they're really relying on these last two months of the year. Um, I think a really, really great way to, to, to support charities throughout the year um, is the monthly donation. And, you know, rather than making a, a big donation that could hurt the wallet all at once, you can break that down over 12 months of the year and that's a more sustainable revenue source for these charities that they can depend on um, and budget for rather than kind of crossing their fingers at the end of the year. So um, you can donate uh, bi-monthly through CanadaHelps.org, and, and I'm sure all of your, your local charities, however they're accepting donations, would really, really be grateful for your monthly gifts. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about it here and, and kind of what the Giving Tuesday is all about. Uh, for those who, who maybe don't have a lot of time and, and don't have, uh, you know, a lot of resources at their disposal, is there any way for maybe those who still want to give back who, who uh, you know, maybe don't have the resources that other people do, uh, you don't have a ton of money or you don't have a ton of time, is there anything that you could say to them that, you know, there is still a way for you to get involved and to give back and to make a difference? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think the number one is just to, to spread the word. Um, spread the word um, about Giving Tuesday, but also about the charitable sector in general. I think a lot of us, um, whether it's our, our family members, maybe being at a hospice um, at, at towards end of life, or, or um, just kind of, again, with those uh, SPCAs where maybe there's been a, a rescue of a, of a cat or dog that we now call our, our, our friend, um, I think there are, charities do vital, vital work um, throughout Canada and really are a huge part of our social fabric. And so I think just recognizing that and holding that and, and then really sharing what charities have done for you or your family or your friends, um, I, think, uh, I think that'd be a great way to start on uh, this Giving Tuesday today. Right on, Jacob. Well, I think there's a, a lot to take in there and definitely a good message for people here on Giving Tuesday. Like you had mentioned, you know, you might have thought about uh, giving to yourself or, or maybe even a, a close friend or a loved one here on Cyber Monday or on Black Friday. But Giving Tuesday here today is a chance to start thinking about others. So uh, definitely an important message. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I think, uh, you know, it's definitely something that people should think about all the time. But you know, it never hurts to have a particular day where we encourage people to, to think about giving back. So definitely a, a good message here. And thanks so much for coming on the show, Jacob. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
hundred percent. And thank you for having me. Have a good day, everyone. You as well. That was Jacob O'Connor with Canada Helps. Uh, yeah, Giving Tuesday, definitely a day for you to, to think about giving back, even if it is in the smallest of ways. It doesn't have to be some grand big gesture. You don't have to give hundreds or thousands of dollars to a charity uh, like Jacob had mentioned off the top. It could just be uh, thinking about someone else for a brief moment in time, whether that be holding the door open for someone behind you or, or uh, taking the time to make sure uh, those around you are having a, a good day and listening to their concerns. You know, whatever the case may be, it doesn't have to be some grand big gesture. Uh, it can just be something small. Maybe you have some change in your pocket today and you don't need to carry around change. Who wants change anymore? Just throw it in, in, a, in a donation bin. There's lots of ways for people to give back. Uh, it is that holiday season. It is that time to think about giving back and giving Tuesday is just uh, one more reason to think about others. Think about those less fortunate than yourself who do need a little bit of extra help uh, once in a while. And during the holiday season, of course, uh, that, uh, that desire to help definitely ramps up and that need that other people have ramps up as well. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. The show, of course, wouldn't exist without you. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9.